I knew that I couldn't change what had happened to me. Uh, no matter how much I would, you know, like to go back and, you know, get into the other lane, which I can honestly say seven years out, I am very grateful um, for that as hard as it was, I'm grateful that I went through it. Um, but at the time being, it was like, you know, I cannot change it. And so the only thing I can change is what I do today. Welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. And today we're excited. We have Cody Burns. He's a best-selling author. He's a speaker. His book is Scar Release. He's also the host of the Scar Release podcast. He has a burn foundation as well. Uh, welcome to the show, Cody. Oh, thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Can you kind of uh, take us back and kind of tell us the beginning of your story and uh, wherever you feel that you want to begin? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I grew up in Southern Indiana and I now live in Tampa, Florida. And so growing up uh, in a good family, very close. And as a little boy, my family uh, took me, I'm just going to run, I'm going to start here, but I, you're going to see why I say what I'm saying. They took me to the circus as a young little boy and I fell in love with the entertainment world. And I said, my goodness, I would love to be a juggler. And I actually started as a clown. Uh, and so I uh, started doing that stuff whenever I was six years old, kind of slowly got my start in front of being in front of people and gaining that confidence. And then fast forward to age 11, I went to a kid's camp and there was a speaker there and the speaker also juggled. And so, you know, as you can imagine, already having an interest in those things, I was drawled in and uh, but I connected with the message he was sharing and I realized that he wasn't up there just to juggle uh, or, or you know receive self-glorification but it was really the the message behind it and so uh, that stuck with me and I said well someday I would love to be able to do that and so all through my young years I pursued doing the juggling I started volunteering at my church speaking on occasion slowly doing more and more events, doing fair shows, festivals, you name it. And then uh, after high school, I did have the opportunity to uh, join the circus, but I chose not to. Uh, so I went to a, a ministry training program in Rockford, Illinois. And so I did that for nine months. And then outside of that, I went to Indianapolis and took additional schooling to get my pastoral credentials. And so, uh, I was a full-time children's pastor and also a traveling speaker, children's speaker, working at events, also doing entertainment as well. Uh, so I was very involved in my community and I really started uh, growing or getting a name for myself all across the country as this comedian, juggler, speaker. And then on May 31st, 2013, my life as I knew it, suddenly changed. And uh, I knew the vision I always had for myself, and that was ultimately to give hope. I knew that, okay, I'm entertaining, I'm speaking, but at the core of it all, I wanted to give hope to people. That was the message. And so that vision was there, and I knew eventually someday this vision was going to grow and be worldwide. And actually, uh, a month before May 31st, 2013, I was in Cuba doing some mission work there. And so it was starting to get to that point 
So your life is going great. And then all of a sudden, 23 years old, I was stopped at a red light on the highway and I was rear-ended by a refrigerator box truck that did not stop. And on impact of the box truck hitting my Dodge Durango, my car blows up into flames. And so when the first responders came to the scene, uh, they said it was a fatality. And uh, they had done called the coroner. And there was actually a van in front that was parked in front of me that day at the intersection. And thank God she was okay. But uh, it did like a ripple effect where her van went to one side of the intersection. Mine went into an embankment. And so mine was the one that was on fire. Luckily, you know, that didn't happen to her. Uh, but they was helping her out because they knew she was still alive. And so they was doing what they were trained to do. Um, however, they saw my hand move. One of the first responders did. And upon them seeing that movement, uh, they changed their plans. And I'm so grateful that they saw my hand move because uh, I have been told since then, if they didn't, I would have been left for dead that day. Um, so it took them a good hour to get me out of this thing. Uh, they then put me on a stretcher and life flighted me to a hospital in Evansville, Indiana, which is the southern part of the state. And then they redirected me to Indianapolis, Indiana, where I was put into a coma on full life support for three weeks. Now, it's always fascinating to me to know how the body works and different things. But the first responder said I was talking to them during this time. I don't recall any of the wreck. I remember everything I did that morning. I remember driving and then everything goes black until I come up out of this coma three weeks later to only be told what had happened to me. Uh, my community, uh, great community. I'm actually my hometown was Princeton, Indiana, uh, just a little bit south of Evansville. Uh, grew up there and being a children's pastor, heavily involved, always doing things. And so it made the news. I mean, the news grabbed a hold of this and immediately people began to reach out and uh, really support uh, myself and my family during that time. Uh, I was single. I'm still a single man. Uh, so, but my mom, dad, and I have uh, two younger brothers and as well as the whole community, a lot of them, they went up to Indianapolis just to be there to support. And I talk about my mother specifically. Um, she was, she was there and very much a strong believer in her faith. And, you know, the whole community was praying and supporting. And, uh, but she uh, was there whenever I came out of life support. And she then told me what all had happened. And obviously you're still in a daze, you know, you, the, the medication's still not quite worn off. And I fully then, I still didn't comprehend everything until maybe even a few weeks later. But uh, my mom was there, said, you know, Cody, you have uh, been in a bad car crash and you have been severely burned. You have broken vertebrae. And my burn injuries, um, might I add, is I had second degree on my face. Second degree burns don't scar. But then I had third and fourth degree burns. I never knew there was such a thing as fourth degree burns. And what that is, is it burns through all of your fat cells down to bone and muscle. And in some cases, it requires amputation. They actually wanted to amputate three of my fingers. Uh, the surgeons told me later on that they would have had to amputate my entire left leg. Uh, 
but because of science and, and things progressing, they were able to save it. Uh, but you know, my mom is there. She's telling me all these different things. She'd been burned. Uh, you know, I had a pneumonia in the burn unit. I had a blood infection, a lot of hurdles. Um, she told me, she said, you know, your recovery, it's not going to be an easy journey, but no matter what, don't lose sight of your vision. And those words stuck with me and they still do to this day. And I think about how everybody in life so often when life takes a hit, we need those individuals to remind us of what's most important, remind us to keep our eye on the goal, on our vision. And certainly in today's world, we see with COVID, everybody has come to a stoplight at some point and uh, we, we need those people. So coming out of the coma, um, like I said, I was in that for three weeks. I was in the burn unit for a total of two and a half months. Then I had to go to a rehabilitation center for six weeks. I had to relearn to walk, had to relearn to use my hands. I had many, many surgeries. And after the fact, it was a good almost two years of nonstop occupational and physical therapy just to get to the point where I could say, all right, I'm recovered enough to move on and uh, live on my own. So a lot of, a lot of hurdles, but I'm here today and I'm very grateful. So I have a number of questions that are jumping out. Um, there's so many pieces of this that I think we could dig into. One is, so I, I work with a lot of clients on mindset and I study it and I help them understand their mindset and kind of be curious about it and work on it. Um, so I, I'm going gi to give, I give you that as a heads up because I'm going to, the question I want to ask, I didn't want it to come across the wrong way, but what was, what was your mindset like throughout this time? You know, you wake up and you're having to go through this rehab. It's months long. Can you give us a little insight into what that was like inner experience was like for you? Yeah. I mean, coming to, it was, you know, not only do you, are you physically damaged, but certainly the emotional side of things you are, you know, uh, traumatized and, the the fact that knowing that my body is now scarred you know that my physical appearance has has changed in, in some ways and you know it's just like why you know you, you we all naturally when tragedy strikes we're like well why you know and then we also obviously coming from a faith background god why you know why would you allow this to happen to me you know i'm not perfect by any means i don't profess that but you know i tried everything i could to do what was right. You know, I was on my go out. I just wanted to give hope to people. And then bam, this happens. And so a lot of emotions, um, you know, I had moments where I'm thanking God that I'm alive, but then the opposite end, it's like, well, you know, this is just so, so challenging going through this. God, why didn't you take me? You know, or you have those moments of just, will it ever end? Uh, you know, and you feel alone in those situations. And, you, the world is moving on without you, so to speak, you know, 23, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, am I ever going to, you know, get married or get back to doing the things that I want to do. And so certainly you have those, those things. And my mindset was, uh, I had to, well, I had to get to that point where I knew that I couldn't change what had happened to me. Uh, no matter how much I would, you know, like to go back and, you know, get into the other lane, which I can honestly say, seven years out, I am very grateful um, for that. As hard as it was, I'm grateful that I went through it. Um, but at the time being, it was like, you know, I cannot change it. And so the only thing I can change is what I do today. And so having that in mind, and then also the support system that I had put in place, mentors, 
pastors, my family being there, friends to encourage me in those moments of, of doubt and depression certainly uh, had a lasting impact on my life and still do to this day. Thank you for sharing. Did you have a second question, Laura? Yeah. So I was curious too, because you started by telling us how you kind of had this vision of being an entertainer in the circus and juggling. And then that shifted to a little bit, right, to having one that was really about sharing a message. And then this life-changing trauma tragedy happened. So how has that, has that changed the way that you kind of approach, you know, trying to impact other people or share a message? Or did it, you know, just kind of help you double down on that? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And so, be and I'm glad you asked that because it helps me kind of clarify up too. So whenever I did do a lot of the children's events and stuff, speaking before um, everything that I did entertainment-wise, it was more of a visual just to draw people in and to break the ice. Um, I did do a few circus events. They were more so like spot dates. You fly out for a weekend, you do a show, and you come back. Um, but what I was most interested in doing was. Whenever I go on a platform, I'm sharing a message and I can use these skills to incorporate in my talk to make it more interesting and engaging. And so now after this has all happened to me, the audience uh, has certainly grown to not be, I mean, I'm still, I'll still speak and work with children, but at the same time, it's more so adults and young adults, college students, and even corporations are really opening up their doors. The first of this year before COVID, I spoke at a correctional facility to a bunch of grown men. And so you see how it's really just expanded and it's really enhanced it. And so I will still do some juggling and comedy because I've learned that adults are very much just like children, especially with today's technology. Uh, the attention span is very short. So anything I can do to help keep it engaging but everything I do has a point to it. So I'm not up there just to, you know, Oh, look at me. You know, there's a reason as to why I'm doing it. Uh, and plus in the fact that I can still juggle and do those things is really a miracle in itself. Because like I had mentioned, they wanted to amputate three of my fingers. Uh, my, my mother and my father, they were there. They said, no, do whatever you can to save his fingers. He juggles. And of course you could imagine the surgeon's face. They're probably like, you're kidding me. Really? He juggles. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's so comical, but you know, in my fingers, they don't move like they used to, but I have adapted and I can make the most of what I can do. And I think really there's a message in that too. So it's a lot of fun. I, I have a great time incorporating those things, but the, the story and the scars, the message that I have, it's really just enhanced it all the more. So the rehab is taking you through around 2015, I'm guessing, if it was a yeah. two-year. And so how did you transition from coming out of rehab into kind of what you're doing now? What was the next step there? Yeah, well, I think na uh, naturally, you know, speaking is something that, I, like I said, I, that was always the vision. And seeing the outpouring of the community and just people being encouraged. My uh, younger brother had started up a Facebook page at the time. And at the time it had grown to about 4,000 people. And for a small town, that was a large number and people were following and, and people were already being encouraged just by me, you know, getting up and doing the therapy. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, well, here it's already speaking to people and I got to look at what I'm called to do ultimately. So it's, it naturally just turned into that. And so I knew speaking was where this was headed. 
And, you know, since that time, you know, I've wrote a book, I've done all these things. So it just naturally happened. But even in going in and out of rehab, whenever I was able to, I would, you know, speak for local churches and slowly try to get back to doing things. Uh, but, you know, and it's, it, 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 pay, it worked out. And so today, here I am, you know, doing uh, not just stuff in the church, but, you know, more so really outside the church. It, it's really transitioned to more corporate and college students. It, it's, uh, it's, it's more, it, it's so much greater than what I had even imagined. So I'm curious, did, you'll find out we're different from most podcasts, but, um, so feel free to not answer this if you don't want to, but the, uh, was there ever a moment where as the popularity of your message grew and the popularity of you grew that you began, did you ever feel pressure from that? Was it ever a time that it almost felt like it was making you uncomfortable? Pressure is, uh, like people are watching me and have my response to this. Yes. And just people, more people knowing you, more eyeballs, as I sometimes call it, uh, more pressure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And, you know, in working with children before all of that, um, I remember in rehab, I had gotten a garbage bag full of get well cards from a kid's camp that I had spoken at in Oklahoma City. It was about the year before. And I was actually, I think I was booked to speak there that summer. Um uh, but the, a lot of the kids knew me from the previous year. And so they all said, you know, get well, Pastor Cody, all these cards. And so even the kids I worked with on a weekly basis at my home church, you have all these young eyes that are watching you. And you spend all that time telling them one thing, trying to give them hope and encourage them in their moments of feeling down and, and discouraged. It was one of those things like, am I really going to practice what I preach? And what example am I going to set? And not just children, but then you do, you have the adults watching you, young adults, teenagers. And, you know, I look at my life and like I had shared, I'm not perfect by any means, but I want to set an example to the best of my ability. And so people do watch you though. Um, even to this day, there's everybody, you know, people, they'll, they'll recognize you. You Google me. Okay. They'll see who I am. Uh, you're, I seen you on this show. Okay. So it does give you some pressure at the same time because it, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not a celebrity by any means, but at the same, it puts you in that place of like, well, I can understand why celebrities don't like paparazzi and all those things. And, and especially when you're in the, the field of trying to help people, encourage people, and even, you know, calling yourself a Christian, you set yourself in a position to be criticized if your humanity uh, shows your imperfections show, you know, I have my moments by, you know, I'm, <laughs> I am not a saint by any means. Uh, so, you know, you, you do feel that pressure. Uh, but at the same time, I think just being vulnerable and real um, is, is a message in itself. I think people get so tired of seeing the fakeness that they want, you know, you're, you're a real person and I, yeah, I have real struggles. And uh, so you do have that, but at the same time, I just have to remind myself I'm human uh, I can't please everybody. You know, you're going to have your, uh, haters, no matter how much good you think you're doing or, so it's just something you have to embrace. And what sparked, oh, go ahead, Laura. I was going to say, I think that that's powerful. I'm curious your perspective on it, that I think a lot of times people who go through 
you know, extreme adversities or challenges and come through on the other side, it, it aligns with what we're trying to do with this podcast, right? People kind of, I think, wrongly look at them as like these superheroes or, you know, like they were amazing. They were so positive. They, you know, and you kind of put them up on a pedestal versus realizing that they're human just like everybody else. And for one reason or another, they found a way to use that for, for good and for growth. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, I think, um, just reading um, kind of your bio and, and a little bit about your book and, and the messages you're trying to kind of teach people, one of the things that struck me was your point you make about going through life versus growing through life. Can you tell us a little bit more about what, what that means? Yeah, I think life is a training ground really in itself. And I think everybody um, needs to be uh, at that point where they want to better themselves. And, you know, obviously as humans, we have those moments where we want to become complacent and, you know, we, we just find ourselves living in the moment, which it, it has its benefits. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, when we go to living uh, in, in, in for the moment or in the moment, we can sometimes make decisions that are not going to have long lasting uh, good results. And so, you know, I, I look at every opportunity and granted, sometimes it's hard, especially when you're going through it, uh, but look at it as an opportunity to grow. And I, I, you know, through this experience, I was 23, I'm 30 today. And, you know, I, I feel as though within the time that I had all of this, it really helped me mature in ways that I wouldn't have if I hadn't gone through it. And so I find the lessons and then I begin to implement them into my life. And certainly there will be many, many more lessons that I will continue to learn as I get married and God willing have children someday and, you know, life goes on. And so I think just, you know, embrace it. You know, I always tell people I, I, I love, I'm actually in the stages of getting my coaching program up and running. And I talk about the Epic Life Game Plan and Epic is an acronym where the E stands for Embrace Challenges and the P stands for provide perspective and, you know, look at what I can learn from this experience and look at the good, be thankful for what you have, and what you can do. And then the I stands for implement change, apply those lessons to your life. And then the C is uh, celebrate, celebrate your story and then serve others in the midst of it. And really that's what this whole thing, I mean, that's, that's what I live by. I'm curious, what was the origin story of how did the book come about? Yeah, everyone was, I never thought I would write a book and uh, everyone's like, well, Cody, you need, you need, you need to write it. And then of course I have a, a marketing team behind me as well. And they're like, Cody, it would really be beneficial to you if, if you'd write a book. So I had a lot of people just saying, you need to do it. You need to do it. So I took a year. It was actually, I wrote it and the all of 2000, I started in 2016 and right towards the end of 2017, I started putting it through some hardcore editing and it's not a big book, but it has been a great learning experience for me to find out how that process works. Uh, but it, people have responded very well to it. It's very conversational and I titled it scar release, breaking free of yesterday's troubles. And I knew that I wanted to write a book, uh, not so much like an autobiography, 
because people don't, I'm not a president. People don't, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm not a big, I'm not some big celebrity. So I wanted to write it in a way where people are, I can share my story, but give them really something of value that they can apply to their life. And so I talk about the physical and more so the emotional scars that we all encounter through life. And scar release is based after a surgical procedure that they do on burn survivors. And as a burn survivor, I deal with contracture scars. And when a contracture scar occurs over the top of a joint, it can limit the mobility of that joint. And so I'll, I always give the example of my hands, my web spaces in particular, uh, they had contracted so much that I couldn't even hold on to a bottle of water. And so I go into therapy and they say, you're gonna need to go in and have surgery. You know, you can try to do it so much during therapy, but the healing takes place and sometimes you just need surgery. So I go in and they assess me and say, all right, we're gonna to need to do a surgical contracture release, scar release. So they go in, they cut the scar at its root and it allows you to be mobile. But a scar release does not remove the appearance of a scar. It allows the mobility to move with the scar. And so really, I, I look at that and I apply that to our life. I use that parallel in the book, is that we all encounter scars, more so emotionally. And sometimes they do, they occur over joints, if you will, in our life, maybe in childhood, uh, marriages, maybe business, different areas. And if those scars are not properly addressed, they can limit us and what we want to do in our lives our goals and so forth. So it's very important that we find freedom to break free. Uh, but at the same time, understand those scars, they're there, embrace them, but celebrate them. There's a whole nother level to it. Celebrate them. It's your story. It's there. You've learned lessons through it and it can also be very beneficial to serve others as well. And then, uh, tell us a little a little bit about your uh, foundation. Yeah, so the Burn Foundation, I created that back in 2016. And I, going through this experience, I've I financially uh, been very blessed. Uh, my community was very good to me. God has been very good to me. Uh, and so financial support came in, but it also allowed me to recognize that there's other survivors out there that are not so fortunate. And so I look at my life as I'm blessed to be a blessing. And so financially, I was able to get this foundation up and running and see it as a way to give back to others that are hurting. And so what we do is we encourage the emotional support and healing of other burn survivors. We've been able to sponsor burn patients to go to conferences and other gatherings where they can connect with uh, like-minded people or uh, motivational or there's motivational speakers, influencers there, and just basically other people that are burned and they're, they're scarred and, and uh, how, to, how they get through it. Just connect, recognize that they're, that they're not alone in their situation. And, you know, initially I wanted to work uh, close with a hospital out, out of Indy. I still do some stuff with uh, Indiana University. And so uh, that is, is a cool thing in itself. Uh, but I'm wanting to work with international burn units and work uh, and if they need equipment or if there's patients over there needing help, you know, financially to get the surgeries or what they're needing to be done, we can certainly do so. So it's, it's still growing and developing. 
and I look forward to seeing how that continues to progress. And I'm, I'm guessing you've kept in touch with the, your doctors from what happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I have a cell phone. He, he keeps, I'd like keep keeping He keeps me in the loop and a uh, great guy. Um, actually I know the surgeon at there actually, there's actually two hospitals there in Indianapolis. Uh, they life flighted me to Wishard hospital, but they have since changed it to Eskenazi hospital. And so my doctor, uh, Rod, uh, sued, he uh, is there still, I think, at Eskenazi. And then the other surgeon that I'm really close with is at Indiana um, University, IU Riley, Riley's Children, Children's Hospital, uh, Dr. Brett Hartman. Great guys. Love them both. Nice. And what I'll – go ahead, Laura. No, go ahead. Um, what have you learned about yourself throughout all of this? Yeah, I, I think uh, you recognize uh, – well, there's so many different things. How do I answer that? Uh, you, you, I learned that I have a lot still yet of, of growing to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm certainly, I haven't arrived by any means. But at the same time, I recognized that when life took a hit, I was able to get back up. And I've seen, you know, I, I celebrate what I've been able to do. Um, here I am, 30 years old. And I look at other people that are 30 and granted, maybe they've gone through some serious incidents in their lives. Maybe they haven't, but I, I look at what I've been able to accomplish. You know, I have this book, I've been able to do a nationwide press tour, all these different things and see people encouraged and, you know, thousands of people have been inspired and motivated. And so I, 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 I say that not to be boastful, but it's one of those things I tell myself that, you know, keep it up, keep going. And, you know, my, my, it's that why, why did I want to do this to begin with? And it's really, once again, giving hope to people. And I, I look at it from a legacy mindset. I'm not living for myself. I'm living for the, the world around me to give hope to them, encourage them where they're at. And so I, I've, I learned that I'm a pretty resilient person. I'm very uh, driven. Whenever I want to do something, I, I go at it. Um, and I push till it's done. Uh, so, but I also learned that I've got some, I need to work on some patience. Mm -hmm. You know, it taught, I learned a lot about patience going through this experience, but I, I've still got a lot to work on in that area. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's a, a constant human thing mm -hmm. to work on for sure. And what are, um, you know, through the experience you've had, and I'm sure you, as you wrote your book, you thought about this maybe as well too. What have you learned about keys to, to thriving despite adversity? Keys to thriving. Well, I think it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the, the epic, the acronym there, you know, just embrace the challenges and no matter what we're doing in life, whether you're a good person or somebody that would be defined as, you know, you're, you're not doing so good. Um, we all encounter problems. We cannot go through life and uh, say that it's going to be all dandy because we'll certainly have those moments of being down where we'll, we'll cry. We, we, life is certainly challenging for all of us. And I think COVID um, really shed light onto that. It's very uncertain, uh, so appreciate 
the time that you have here on earth. You know, every heartbeat is truly a gift. And look at what you can do today to, to make an impact on somebody else. Uh, when you start living with that mindset of wanting to make a difference in the lives of others, it will help you. It's very therapeutic for you, but more importantly, it's helping humanity. It's, it's the bigger goal. And so, you know, to me, that is thriving. When you can look outside of yourself and give to others, celebrate your story, the, the challenges that you have gone through and you've overcome, celebrate the lessons you've learned through that. Because, you know, there's, there's colleges out there, there's universities, but as much as they can teach you, life teaches us many other things that you cannot learn from a book. And so uh, value some of those lessons. Have your experiences made the daily annoyances of life seem more consequential or less consequential? Yeah, a daily annoyances is in just... Uh, what uh just everyday uh, yeah kind of the old phrase uh don't sweat the small stuff does because for example i've had uh spoken to veterans who say you know nothing that happens now seems that important Mm -hmm. Uh, did it give you that same type of outlook or was it uh, different for you you know it did and and it was it was really intensified after the crash uh because i heard a lot of people complain and about their problems. And I'm just like, would you just shut up? And it's like, really? What, you know, just come on. And, uh, but you know, here I am seven years out. And so I think as life goes on, we all have that tendency to, uh, you know, get irritated at the small things. And that's why I think it's, it's important to remember what you have gone through and also look at others. And, you know, you're, you're not the only one. And then also recognize that there's a lot of other people out there that are living a lot worse off than, than what you have right now. So, you know, be grateful uh, that you may have these problems. You know, if, if you're married, be grateful that you have a spouse uh, to argue with. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, or, or if you have children, thank God that you got children. You know, maybe they're working your nerves, but you know what? There's a lot of people out there that would love to have kids. Uh, and so it's just all about perspective. Uh, but I do, I, I, I have those days. I get very irritable. Uh, I have, <laughs> there's some days I just, I'll, I'll spill my coffee. I'm like cr- crying out loud. You know, I'm just, it just, you just have those mornings. We all do. But at the same time, in those, in those challenging moments, I think it's always beneficial to look back and say, all right, calm down. It's not so bad. You're going to get through it. Sure. And thanks for uh, sharing that. I know it was kind of uh, invasive or for lack of a better word. Uh, I always ask the uh, questions along those lines though. Um, no, they're good questions. Good. Uh, very good. Thank you. Um, so, what is the biggest takeaway from your story? Mm. I, uh, there's so many to pull out. Um, and you know, and, and often it sounds very much just like common sense, you know, uh, but you just know that there's hope. There's going to be a better tomorrow. You're going to get through it. 
And, you know, there's, there's a powerful quote that I always love sharing with people. And it was given to me by one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Sean Stevenson. He actually passed last year. Um, amazing motivational speaker, therapist, uh, just an all around great human being. And he shared with me this quote, and I'm thinking it's by Caitlin Walsh, I think is the lady's name. But um, it's, I have a big uh, canvas up here on my office wall, and it says, the key to success is playing the hand you were dealt like it was the hand that you wanted. And I think, you know, really within this situation and every day of my life, I look at it as just that. Um, yeah, I was dealt a hand like this, and as challenging as it was um, because of the mentors and the, the, the people I had pouring out and my decision, ultimately, to play these cards right, it really transformed into a great success success story. And like I share with uh, you, Lauren, about how it ultimately it enhanced that vision of what I always had. And so I, I think just don't give up, persevere, embrace the challenges, and see how the challenges can help further enhance your overall vision. I'm curious. And maybe, maybe you kind of already alluded to this a little bit, but I'm curious, was there ever a point where you found yourself really getting stuck and not being able to kind of switch out of that, that mindset or, or shift perspective, you know, as you kind of talked about? Yeah. I mean, you cert, excuse me. Uh, I had those moments where, you know, and I, I don't know, this means stuck. I mean, they weren't long moments, uh, you know, just maybe if a day or a couple of days where you feel really just down in the dumps and you're just discouraged. And, uh, but because of the people I had surrounding me and that accountability, they wouldn't allow me to stay there. And still to this day, I need that. Uh, I am still human. I have moments where depression wants to sneak in. I have my, my days where I get very discouraged, uh, but then I have people that are calling me, they're texting me, family members, people in the church. Like it's, it's, it's set up in such a way that um, I have no option but to get up and keep going. I was just going to say, you know, ask then what maybe your, you kind of alluded to this with the takeaway, but um, maybe to add on to that. So, you know, advice you would give someone who has gone through or is going through challenge and is finding them themselves stuck or not, you know, able to kind of shift out of that and shift forward. Mm. Yeah. And, and just, you know, I think it's important that you don't, or that you understand number one, that you are not alone. I think there's, there's so much power in that. Uh, as much as we feel isolated, especially in today's world and all that's happening, recognize that you are one of many that's going through it. And number two, just understand that tomorrow is a new day. You're going to get through it. Uh, and I, I go back to that. You know, I cannot change what happened to me yesterday. I can change my tomorrow, but it's all a matter of what I do today. What are you going to do today to help better your life? You know, what habits are you going to put in place? What support system are you going to put in place? There is, you may say, well, Cody, you know, I wasn't fortunate to be, uh, you know, close with my family. 
in such times. Well, here's the thing. When you get a certain age, we'll say 18, uh, when you, you become an adult, uh, we are in charge of putting these individuals into our life. And, and it may not be family members, but there's people out there. There's good friends. There's mentors. Uh, grab a hold of them. Uh, today's world, we have the computers, the technology. You can certainly do the research. There's support groups out there. There is people that are willing to help you get off your feet and get going. It's all a matter of you reaching out. So don't be afraid to reach out. And um, yeah, you're going to get through it. There is hope. I'm glad you <clears throat> actually stopped me from signing off because I forgot to ask, uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about that uh, you wanted to share with the listener that get out there? Uh, well, I tell well, there's, there's a couple things. If, if they're interested um, on my website, uh, codyburns.com, C-O-D-Y-B-Y-R-N-S. There is, um, if they click on the scar release book, if they would like, they can download the first chapter of the book for free if they're interested. And then I also have at the epiclifegameplan.com, epiclifegameplan.com. They can go on there and they can download a free PDF of those epic steps that I just shared. And it's even got some more um, written out descriptions of how you can, you know, basically um, overcome your setbacks and rise above challenges and celebrate your story. So, like I said, that's free. You can uh, go check it out if you like. And certainly if you're interested, I'm on all social media outlets. If you'd like to connect, I'd be more than happy to do so. Great. We'll make sure we share those with the, the listeners when we air the episode. Oh, great. Thank you. And uh, Cody, it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, your story is uh, inspirational and you're inspirational and thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you and, and Lauren. Thank you guys for having me. It is truly a pleasure. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved.